Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Anne Lusk with Luskin Associates, Sotheby's International Realty in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Last year, she closed 108 transactions with a total sales volume of $45 million. Her average sales price was $418,000, of which 25% were buyers and 75% were sellers. She has a seven-member team, one buyer transaction coordinator, one seller transaction coordinator, one runner, one marketing director, two marketing assistants, and one team leader. Ann Lusk is the team leader of the Ann Lusk team. She's been an agent for 21 years and works the Lancaster County and Central Pennsylvania markets. In this call, Ann talks about getting a fast start and selling 77 homes her first year in a new market, quickly identifying an underserved niche and helping Spanish-speaking clients, becoming the community resource for her clients and serving their needs both in and out of real estate. How referrals happen without asking for them when you have a servant's heart. Why you have to do good to do well. How she broke into the luxury market when a janitor mentioned her to a corporate executive who referred her to her first high-end relocation client. Her signature Go Godiva chocolate marketing effort that brings in $10 million in referrals and has a 20 to 1 ROI. Selling 108 homes last year and 149 homes already this year, being the only salesperson on the team and handling all the buyers and sellers personally. Why your actions speak louder than your words. How she increased her production 40% in the last year by focusing all of her marketing efforts in the one area around her office. Team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Anne. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? I am great, Anne. Thank you so much for joining us. And before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, that is a long list of careers, but they all help me each and every day in some way. For instance, when I graduated from Penn State University main campus, I worked at KOUS, KYUS, and KCTZ-TV, Billings, Harden, Miles City, and Bozeman, and out in the West, you cover a lot of territory at a TV station. You have to create your own stories, do your own research, edit, and go on air. And that was an excellent experience to make you comfortable dealing uh, with all sorts of people and also really putting together um, marketing because as a person on the air, not only in a small station do you 
have to wear many hats, but in order to make more money, I had to sell some advertising. So I really got a well-rounded education as far as media and how it works. And as an anchor person, you truly are a salesperson. Because and every day you have to prospect for your stories and look for something new, current, and exciting. And the most important thing you learn is two words, right now. And then after that, I worked at Armstrong World Industries, and I sold products, flooring, furniture, uh, ceiling tiles, anything that Armstrong World Industries uh, manufactured or owned a company, even Thomasville Furniture, I sold those items to directly to people like General Dynamics for their submarines, uh, Viking Yacht, Egg Harbor Yacht, uh, Fleetwood RVs, Clayton Mobile Homes. So, As the only female vendor of 2,000 vendors, the presidents and the people that worked at the company were very eager to show me all aspects of construction. So I learned a lot about framing, electrical, uh, how things are built and constructed, which helps me, again, each and every day in what I do. And I was also in the automotive industry. And I specialized in um, wholesaling high-end cars uh, throughout the world. So I would ship Bentleys, Porsches, Mercedes, Aston Martin Lagondas, Rolls Royces, all sort Ferraris, all sorts of fancy cars, not only within the U.S., but around the world. And I worked at uh, Steve Taub Porsche Audi in Santa Monica, and again, had some amazing clients uh, that are extremely well-known, and it gave me a comfort level of working, again, with people from all different backgrounds, um, all different walks of life, and it really gave me the confidence to uh, work in sales. How did you decide to go from all those different backgrounds into real estate? What, What moved you into real estate? Well, several things. When I was in Florida in the automotive business, as a wholesaler, um, I would have clients from all over the world that would want to come and meet me in person in Florida. And when they were there, they loved Palm Beach. They loved Jupiter. They were from all over the world. And they would say to me, oh, I want to live here. And I wasn't a real estate agent at the time, but they'd say, help me find a house. Well, since I tortured my real estate agents and saw 345 (laughs) homes before I chose one to buy, um, I had a pretty good knowledge of the marketplace. And I would go and ask them what they wanted, and then I'd find an agent, and I'd preview all the homes, and then I would select a handful, anywhere between three and ten, that I thought... Uh, my car clients would like, I would arrange the way they should see them. And I would tell them, usually the last one is the one they'll be buying. And one of my clients was like, you should be the agent, not that person. (laughs) And I said, well, being a real estate agent's a fate worse than death. You work 24-7. People never leave you alone. You don't get a break. You drive people around. 
for days, months, and hours, and then they don't buy a house from you, and you've wasted all that time when you could have been doing other things. Obviously, for some reason, I was extremely attracted to that lifestyle, (laughs) and my first real estate office was Gimmelstab Better Homes and Gardens in Jupiter, Florida, and I sold several homes there, but I, I think that I could have done much better. And I had some fantastic mentors uh, in the business. And I just didn't get what I needed to do. I was successful in spite of myself. And I think it's because I had great people around me. And when you know, I left Florida, I went to California. When I came back to Pennsylvania, I had, I love my dog, so my dog was sick. And I worked at uh, Penn Vet Supply selling uh, veterinary pharmaceuticals. And I was, did an excellent job at that because I would come to work and work and I was never afraid of asking people for the order. So within a short time, I became very successful on that, but I realized that I really needed more. And my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, said, you love homes. You're a highly motivated, hardworking person. What was your favorite thing you have ever done? Because the car business started to go downhill then. Uh, The internet sort of overtook that business early on. And I said, well, I loved homes. I know how to build them. I'm very good with color and design, and I just not sure I want to be a real estate agent, but I'm sick of being limited, my success being limited based on corporate America or someone else deciding what I should make. That's just not really going to work for me. So he said, well, why don't you go back into real estate? And I said, oh, I haven't lived around here for like 10 years. I don't really know anybody anymore, and I'm just not so sure. Well, he basically said, well, if you don't try it, you won't know. So I joined a really small non-franchise company in the city of Lancaster, and I liked it because there wasn't a lot of agents in the office, and I felt that I would have more freedom than it was in a franchise. And I had one attribute that when you're in real estate, you always have to seek your niche. My niche was I had lived in Florida and California, so and I'd taken Spanish for over eight years. And I figured, what can I do right now, again, the keywords in my life, to build a business because I was really having a difficult time breaking into an area that was ruled by local people that had lived here consistently. And I was an outsider. So I thought, what can I do? When I was in the office on floor time, I was listening to people calling in that couldn't speak English at all or very well. Well, I immediately heard the receptionist struggle with it, and I said, send that person to me. Well, they were amazed that a blonde-haired woman with blue eyes 
could read, write, and speak Spanish proficiently. And that was the beginning of my niche. And in the in a short period of time, I, I had my first listing. Then I got my second listing. I went knocking on doors in predominantly um, Spanish-speaking neighborhoods in the city of Lancaster. And I gave these potholders out. I can't make this up. And <laughs> wrote thank you notes to people and watched, I think his name was Tommy Hopkins, videos, mm-hmm. and Danielle Kennedy. And that was my training from Mr. Grable. And listened to them and did what I was told to do. Different than the first time as in real estate where I just showed up and smiled, I really went out and prospected. And very quickly built up a business because I sought a niche where I could excel that truly no one else was fighting for. And power of referrals was amazing. And one of the things in life like I learned is, you know, always pay it forward. Not only was I helping them buy houses, I was helping this fabulous group of human beings build their life in a better way. Um, I was telling them going here to these buy here, pay here because you wanted a VCR and you put, you know, 20 bucks down and $10 a week for three years that you were spending way too much. And, and it was helping them redo their financial futures. Still to this day, you know, 20 some years later, you know, a lot of my initial clients are bringing me their car leases asking me questions. Should I do this? Should I not do that? Some of these clients I had, I worked with two and three years to build their credit up to be able to buy a $55,000 house. And I find that, you know, sometimes everything you do builds on your success. I learned how to do really difficult deals in a language that was not my first language. And I found that that was extremely uh, helpful uh, because I truly um, had something unique that I could offer. And I feel very fortunate that I was um, blessed enough and flexible enough to you know, step outside my comfort zone. And I'm very thankful for that. And that business allowed me to do a lot of volume and be able to have confidence. The more deals you do, the more confident you get and the more proficient you get in your career. It's just like a surgeon. You wouldn't want to be your first heart surgery for a heart (laughs) surgeon. But the heart surgeon that's done a thousand, you feel good about because you know what he knows what he's doing or she. 
and so that's like in real estate. So all these deals helped me because they were difficult. They were first-time home buyer with uh, additional programs, and you were working with people that maybe their credit wasn't great. You had to learn how to help them, you know, improve their credit, uh, how to s- develop a pattern of savings. And I can truly look back and say, I truly help people change their lives and have a different mindset. And the biggest joy for me is some of these clients I helped, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, their kids are coming and saying, I don't want to pay rent, Anne. I want to invest in real estate. They're 19 and 20 years old buying their first house. How fabulous. That's awesome. And you helped get that ball rolling. Exactly. And some of the people I helped step outside their comfort zone, they were on Section 8. And I've helped them build wealth and confidence and and, and be a great example for their families and their children and make them feel like, hey, I can do this. And from the clients that I helped in that community, one of them was a janitor and introduced me to a very important executive. And I remember the executive calling me, asking me for, you know, uh, if I would help a, a client coming in. And I was like, oh, I think you mean someone else at my office. Uh, that's not normally a price range I, I service. I would love to, but I've just never gotten the opportunity. And the person goes, no, I've, this, this person that works here at, at my organization told me what you did for him. I bought a huge house and no one ever did that for me. And that opened doors and, and truly has brought me to a fabulous marketplace and an and excellent average sales price for the area I live in. Because people didn't forget how I served them. That first year that you went back to Lancaster and you found your niche in the Spanish-speaking market, how did that first year go? Do you recall your, your sales volume that first year? I believe I sold, this is amazing, like 77 homes. Wow. It, it was a huge amount. And I remember working my butt off and the people in my office sort of made fun of me because I hired an assistant my first week of real estate, even though I didn't sell anything yet. Did you see it coming or why did you hire that assistant? Because I knew from the first time I sold real estate what I wasn't good at. And what I wasn't good at is uh, I needed somebody to organize my paperwork and organize my uh, leads. And I have absolutely horrific handwriting. So I would tell my now sister-in-law what I needed her to write on each card and how to organize them. So while I was out knocking on doors, she was organizing the information for me. That's really interesting. I know more about your story. You've, you eventually moved into the luxury market. It sounds like you started at the low end of the market servicing a group of people that needed your help. And you did such a great job that that actually opened the door for that higher end market as well. Exactly. 
and again, and, and I always embraced, how can I say, helping others. I got involved in the community and organizations and charities uh, because, again, your actions speak louder than your words. Let's do this. Let's bring everybody into today. Let's give them a quick rundown of some statistics so they can kind of see where your career has gone. Could you tell us how many homes you sold last year and what the sales volume was? Yes. Um, last year, I had 108 transactions uh, with a volume of around $45 million, And my average sales price was 418000 about 75% were sellers and 25% were buyers. Well, it looks like you're, you're focusing a lot on that listing side. Yes, Joe Stump always told me you had to list to last. Let's give him some more quick information here. Last year, do you recall what your GCI was? Yes, I do. It was $1.14 and $328. It was a lot. Now, this year, we're towards the end of the year. You're on track to do even more. Do you know what your year-to-date numbers are for number of units and sales volume? I do. I closed number 149 last night, and 30% buyers, 70% sellers. My gross sales volume is 66644688, plus another 200 and some. So I'd say, yeah, it's a lot. It's just shy of uh, $67 million, and my gross income so far this year is $1.637,981 million. Wow, that is extraordinary. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, I should have asked, how long have you been in the business now? Well, I was in the business in 1989-90 in Florida. And then here, uh, November 4th, 1995, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So about, what, 21 years there in Lancaster? Correct. Do you have any idea how many homes you've sold in your career? Well, it's quite a bit. Now, the MLS here only goes back a, a number of years. It's not even half of my career. But the years I can go back, it's saying I've sold like 1,361 homes to the tune of about a half a billion dollars. But it's probably more towards 3,000 because, again, we don't go back so far. And it's probably my coach, Joe Stump, would yell at me and he would say, Ann, you should know every home you've ever sold and have it documented. But I never did this. It was never about the money. It was about serving others, solving problems, helping people move through the trans transitions of life. Um, when you die, there's no U-Haul behind your horse. So I just, what I do isn't work. It's true joy. And I love celebrating my clients' victories. When you're negotiating, when you're working for one of your clients, do you have an image in your head? Do you, do you feel like you're the champion for them? I would say I'm their servant. And I always, when I'm negotiating for them, I'm pretending it's my money. Like, what would I do if this was me? 
And also, what's the best for that client? You know, it's never about me. I am an odd agent when I go into a listing appointment. I don't sit there and brag about how many homes I've sold, where I am in the country, what I've done, because the truth, no one cares. I'm there to serve them. What am I going to do for them? How can I'm going to maximize their proceeds? It is about them, not about me. And I, I get a little disappointed sometimes when, you know, realtors talk about me, 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 me. Oh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this award, that award. No one cares. People are hiring you to serve their needs, to sell their home, to find them a home, and make it the best for them. It sounds like you've had that your entire career. Where did you learn that, that, again, I call it a champion attitude, but that you call it the servant attitude? Where did you learn that? My dad. My dad was one of the hardest working people I've ever met. Um, He always said there's no secrets in time. And that what you reap, you will sow. And you can't ever focus on the dollar. You focus on the results for the people you're serving. And as a kid, I always had to work. I remember being five years old, six years old, down at his little manufacturing company, either putting hooks in plaques or sweeping the floor or pulling weeds or Heck, I had my own, like, produce stand, I think, when I was in first grade. Because I was taught, if you want something, you need to work for it. There was no free lunch. And you became a little entrepreneur. Yes, I was, because I always wanted more. I remember telling my mom, and I think I was four years old, and she was uh, quite annoyed at me that my grandmother was visiting from Oklahoma. And my grandmother was quite a unique lady. She was the first woman who worked in electronics at Tinker Air Force Base back in the late 60s. And she worked with all men. And my grandma Dottie was quite a a butt-kicking female. (laughs) And my grandma used to say, you can be whatever you want, sister. And I remember she brought this, like, feather boa and I had my grandma's high heels on her lipstick and her fur bow and tell my mom, I believe I need a Mercedes fur coat and um, I'm going to have my own business and I'm not going to have anybody tell me what to do. So it started at a very, 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 very young age. Wow, what a great example. Uh, if I recall in your history, you did do this uh, something similar. You were the only female in that auto wholesale group out of like 2000. Is that correct? And, and the wholesale group and also at Armstrong World Industries, I serviced the manufacturing housing and manufactured, you know, RVs. And I was, I believe, the only female vendor. And I used to have to teach people how to install floors, how to repair floors, how to install ceiling tile grids um, in high heels and a skirt. (laughs) But your grandma, she gave you that model early on. Yeah, she said, don't take anybody's crap. You only (laughs) limit your own success and don't ever listen to the word no. And my dad was such a hard worker. I mean, he, 
he was always doing something, trying to invent something, manufacture something. Plus, he, you know, had full-time jobs as well. I mean, he worked all the time. And it sounds like he had you involved in, in his operations. He did, all of us. We were cheap labor. <laughs> and you learned, you learned valuable lessons, working hard and treating people well, and that entrepreneurial spirit. That's really exciting. And again, I saw him always be helpful and always look for how can I be better. And the one thing he said is, people aren't achieving anything when they're comfortable. To be uncomfortable is where you have your greatest growth. And many people, especially in this industry, feel like, oh, I'm doing okay. They don't make themselves uncomfortable. They don't say, what can I do to be better? How can I best you know, educate myself. Uh, the one thing about real estate is even though I've been in it a very long time, I'm still learning each and every day. There's always new situations. Um, there's always new rules. There's always new technology. There's, it's an ever-changing career. How we did business back in 1988 or 89 is totally different the way we need to do business today. How do you make sure that you don't become complacent? You've had quite a bit of success along the way. How have you continued to drive yourself for those challenges and not sit back and enjoy the fruits of your labor? I think that part of it is I do go to, um, I participate. And what I mean by that is I go to the National Association of Realtors Convention. Every day I try to read something about real estate, an article, uh, a trend. I, in my car when no one is with me, I download iTunes books. So I listen to maybe Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I've listened to it 613 times in my car. I've read the book, you know, I've been through many books because they get destroyed because I fold pages, highlight, what can I do better? I'm always seeking extra information to improve the quality of my service and knowledge for my clients. Let's do this for everybody. I I don't want anybody to lose where you are. And and we've kind of mentioned it a few times, but where is Lancaster, Pennsylvania? It is in the heart of Amish country, about an hour and 15 minutes west from Center City, Philadelphia. Could you describe your current market? So the average sales price in my multiple list system is $201,871. The average days on market in my multiple list system is 70 days. Is your pricing going up, down, or flat? I would say, again, in the lower price ranges, I'm going to say 250 and under, I would say our values are increasing. But in our upper-end market, I have not seen an increase in value. We're still not back to 2007 pricing on the upper end. 
So if I have this correct, your average price is right around 200000 yet your average price is about double that. You're about 400000 Correct. It sounds like you've, you've moved into that upper end. You started, it sounds like you started kind of at the lower end. You've now uh, transitioned. You're doing a lot more upper end. Do you consider yourself a, a luxury home agent? Yes, I do. But I still never refuse a $30,000 mobile home either. Uh, because again, I feel that I built my business with a willingness to help everybody no matter what the price range. The least expensive home I've ever sold was on Beaver Street for $1,500. A $1,500 home, what was that? It was, I don't want to use the word crack house, but how about a crack shack? It was <laughs> a home that was really, had seen better days. How about that? Sure. Well, let's let's talk about this move into to luxury homes. How how would you define a luxury home in your market, and how would you define a luxury agent? I would say a luxury home in my market is over four hundred thousand dollars, and a luxury agent in my marketplace must be extremely knowledgeable about the inventory, construction, options, uh, neighborhoods, and also people's options. And what I mean by that is there are so many fabulously built homes in this area. In fact, when I creep outside my marketplace once in a while, I am totally floored by the lack of quality compared to what is available in my marketplace. We have the old school Amish craftspeople framing our homes. Uh, We are the cabinetry uh, creator in the world. We have so much manufacturing of cabinetry and woodworking and buildings. We have artisans in this area that are second to none. We have people that grew up in their families learning how to be proficient in trades. So when somebody comes into this county from another place, I would say the number one thing they need to realize is we have excellence and quality in our homes, in people that put a personal pride in in doing excellent work. And I feel like that differentiates our area from other places. Did you have a conscious desire to move into that higher-priced home market or did it happen by fluke when, when you met that executive for instance it, did it just kind of happen and you just went with the flow or did you intentionally move yourself into that higher priced market I did intentionally move myself into that market it, it was my how can I say it was my goal day one and I knew that I had to be extremely proficient to be able to attain my goal. And being having the opportunity to do lots of very complicated deals when my average price sales price used to be fifty four nine, that set the stage because again, as an anchor person, I understood packaging things together. I understood marketing. I understood construction when I worked with Armstrong. 
I understood design. Armstrong World Industries had the most fabulous design center where I learned about colors and forecasting and, you know, putting together storyboards. I find that all of those roadmarks in my career, uh, every little thing helped me in what I do today. And I wanted to be the best. One of the things that when I was a kid, my dad would tell me no one remembers number two. And I used to tell him I thought he was wrong about that, but he was actually right because he asked me a question one year, who lost the Super Bowl? And I could not think about it. Like, it was very frustrating uh, that I literally took me about an hour to remember who, who lost the Super Bowl. And that stuck in my mind, and it still does. No one remembers number two. And so to me, in order to be the best agent, you needed to be the most proficient person and offer the most for your clients. And in the luxury market, you have to be proficient. You have to be hardworking. You have to not only understand the housing market, but understanding all of the other needs in your, for your clients. You're selling a million-dollar home and someone's moving from, you know, South Beach, Florida, you know, in Miami. They're going to want to know who's the best nail salon, who's the best doctor, who's the best hairstylist, where, where can I uh, eat dinner, What's the, what are the best restaurants? So you familiarize yourself with all the luxury aspects that your community has to offer because your client expects not just for you to find them the home, but to help them transition into the community. And I feel that um, it is really important to be able to when you're a luxury agent, be willing to participate in charity, fundraising, community, and to hold your clients' hands and introduce them to your area. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And I feel the luxury market is for people that are highly service-oriented human beings. You're basically creating a Rolodex of other service providers for for this upper end group. And my question for you is, did you put that down on a list? Do you hand it to them in a, in a paper list? Or are you a mental Rolodex? They have a question, they call you up, and you, you spit out an answer. I'm a mental Rolodex. They call me, and I make the personal introductions. You mentioned holding their hands as well. So it sounds like you're you're building a friendship and you you take them beyond this this quote transaction, beyond the closing, and you're helping them connect with the community. Absolutely. I assume by doing that it has the byproduct of creating referrals. That is how I live my life, dear. 
Yeah, that's great. You, you do get a lot of business from referrals. We'll talk about that in a minute. The well, question I have for you right now is, do you ever ask for referrals directly or do they just happen through osmosis because you're, you're helping people so much? The truth is, they just offer them to me. I don't even ask. I should ask. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got that impression, so that that's very good. Uh, another question I have for you is this. Since you knew early on that you wanted to go down the luxury market, you've been working with luxury cars and a lot of high-end products. Uh, why did you take that route to the low end of the market first before going back up? I, I know you mentioned that there was a need and a niche my question is, why didn't you drive harder to go directly into luxury first? Because I was from this area, and I understood people's mindsets. Um, people's mindsets in Lancaster County is you have to earn your way. Mm. And if you couldn't prove that you could handle a small deal, you weren't going to get an opportunity to handle a large deal. How long did it take between the time that you you started in Lancaster and you were working the, the lower end of the market before you started working the upper end of the market? I would say it was about five or six years. If there was an agent listening and they wanted to break into the luxury market, do you have any recommendations for them? Absolutely. Uh, number one, involve yourself in the community. You have to do good to do well. Get involved with a capital campaign, fundraising projects, because again, your actions speak louder than your words. People like to see people giving back. It makes them feel comfortable handing their largest investment over to you to represent. Number two, Branding, branding, branding. And making sure that even if you have a $50,000 listing, it's presented as the best $50,000 listing in the marketplace. Success leads clues. One of the things that I did early on is I remember cleaning my clients' houses, helping them declutter, (laughs) washing windows, scrubbing floors. Remaking the bed, uh, bringing in props from TJ Maxx, Kmart, Walmart. What could I do to make their house look the best it could be so it could sell? And again, many people in life seek to do the minimum. And if you ask yourself, when's the last time you yourself have experienced great service? If you can do something different than anybody else, you'll succeed. The luxury market needs people to say, I can handle that. Don't worry about that. And doing it and completing the task. And I find that, you know, a lot of agents say to me, oh, I want to be a luxury agent. And they get that opportunity and they flub it up because the pictures aren't pretty. The house isn't staged. The commentary with it does not attract a buyer. They're overpriced. I tell people, again, think of yourself. If you had 
a million dollars or half a million dollars or 400000 which house would attract you? Well, that's how you need to make your listings look. And it is a beauty contest. And some of the things that I do differently is I've had a stager since probably close to 2001 or 2002. And a stager goes into every listing I have. And I pay for it. Why? Because my success is their success and their success is my success. So why wouldn't I want to work together to help them get that highest number and to get their home sold? Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Let me ask, kind of from the business side of the luxury homes, do you direct market into areas that have luxury homes? Or is, is it been through this networking of, of being part of the community? How, how, again, have you moved yourself that direction? Well, it's a combination of I'm a member of a country club. My kids get to spend a lot of time there. I do not because I'm working. However, I do use SmartZip and I have neighborhoods where I do direct mailings consistently. That has been, I would say, that reticulator activator because I do advertise a lot. I present my properties to the public in various different ways. I am known to have a very complex and complete marketing situation for each and one of my listings. And I feel that is just sort of the icing on the cake because they know, but it's a constant reminder of who I am and what services I offer in the marketplace. And again, when I send these mailings out through SmartZip, it's never about me. It's about how can I help and serve the client. When you say that, what does the mailing look like? Give, a, give us kind of a visual, a picture of what that mailing would look like to show that you're, you're of service uh, rather than self-promotion. It would say things like, you know, five tips to stage your home to get more money. Five things you can do to your home to increase its value. What is your house, house worth right now? Just basic things like that. You also mentioned you do a lot of advertising and promotion to keep yourself in the public eye. What kind of things do you do? Lots of things. I sponsor lots of charity events because, again, it's about giving back. Number two, I'm in Homes and Land magazine. And I put every one of my listings in there every month. The reason is, is people deserve to be marketed. And sometimes buying real estate is an impulse buy. They're at the grocery store. They, pick, they see a house on the cover. They pick it up and think, wow, I'd like to own that home. I wasn't thinking of moving, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the agent and see what I think. Little things like that, the internet 
uh, is also extremely powerful. And I also am the member of multiple MLS systems. Why? You never know where your client's coming from. And I take a macro view, not a micro view. And I feel that's my clients deserve um, me, deserve to have me put out 110% effort that they get success. It's interesting because a lot of my listings are getting showings from agents not in my local multiple list system. And agents always say, wow, that's weird. That house sold from someone who drove here from Bucks County or Philadelphia or Harrisburg. Well, why wouldn't they refer it? Well, because it's been tough the last several years in real estate. If you have a client spending a lot of money, you might not want to refer it out because you might want to get the commission yourself. I am extremely gracious and helpful to any out-of-the-area agent. I will have my assistants open up the door that they can easily show it and help them out. Because why not? It's serving my client's highest and best need, which is to get their home sold for the most amount of money humanly possible. You also mentioned that you put together a marketing plan for each listing. Are those customized plans? Yes, they are. I customize it to the property. Uh, For instance, um, every Wednesday morning, we have a marketing meeting with my marketing team, and we discuss every listing individually. I have a fabulous uh, historic home in Carlisle, which is a little out of my marketplace, but I believe the buyer is going to come from a large, like, East Coast area versus Carlisle, Pennsylvania. So we talked about uh, different publications that we can add to what we're currently doing to help sell that specific home. So you look out and try to anticipate where that buyer is going to come from and then figure out how to get in front of them. Correct. I learned that from being a TV anchor person and Nielsen ratings. You go out and you find out where your audience is and what they want? Find them. And and I am really fortunate. Sometimes your worst moments bring you your greatest opportunities. And if I wouldn't have been allowed to go to Berkshire Hathaway... I would not have had the best opportunity in my real estate career. I can't tell you how the stars and gods shined upon me when I became part of Sotheby's International Realty. They are the most proficient marketing machine of any real estate brand in the world. And they have been a great gift to my clients and to me. They demand excellence and they have afforded me the opportunity to present my properties, not just locally, not just statewide, not nationally, but globally. And the connections and where my listings are seen. I mean, my average sales price this year is about 484. How fabulous. And I have to credit the luck of the draw becoming part of Sotheby's International Realty. And how long have you been part of them? Since 91114. Can't make that up. 
So for the last couple of years, you've been part of them, and you mentioned they have a marketing machine. I'm trying to understand what does that mean? They're giving you your, your listings exposure to a wider audience? Is that what's happening? Oh, my happening? gosh. Uh, let me tell you the greatest story. Uh, this blew me away. I was listing agent number three on a property in Willow Street, Pennsylvania. And this property was unusual. It was about a half million dollar house in a neighborhood where all the other homes were probably between 175 and 225. And this sat at the end of a cul-de-sac and it was a log home. And I thought the home was phenomenal. And the people called me in because they said they liked my advertising and they had heard from people that I can sell anything, the more unusual, the better, that I think outside the square. And I had Dante come in and stage it. I had professional photos, I think two sets of them because I am sort of a perfectionist. And I put it to Sotheby's and they have this thing they call the love machine. And the love machine will, you know, extra ordinary advertising beyond what they give us. I mean, every one of my lessons gets New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Architectural Digest, Dwell, Bloomberg, Apple News, Hong Kong Tatler, Financial. There's a long, extensive list that Sotheby's International Realty sends my listings to after they quality control them. And they had a story where they were, they put out like an all call, hey, New York Post is doing a story on great Pennsylvania getaways. What do you have? Nominate a couple of your listings and send us pictures. Well, they chose uh, my listing at Fisher Terrace, took one of the pictures I sent them. It was on the front page of the New York Post on a Friday. I got 31 calls. (laughs) Three competing offers. Uh, We did not take the two over list price. We took the one under list price because it was basically as is. And I said, pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. So they did that. But wow, how incredible. They also put out one of my properties to Architectural Digest Online. It was a historic property. They wrote an incredible story on it. Again, how could I have access to that being in any other brand? I wouldn't. And it truly has changed my life, and I'm really grateful. I'm sending Philip White a big basket of candy because, thank goodness, I had the opportunity to be a part of such an amazing brand. Well, Ann, let's do this. I want to talk a, a bit more about your, your marketing and how you're getting the word out there for your brand, for your business and your services. I'm under the impression that about 70% of your business is coming from repeat and referral from past clients and sphere of influence. And that's a big chunk of your business. Can we talk about that for a minute? Absolutely. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? It is about 5,000. If you were to break that up between past clients and sphere of influence, would you be able to do that? Probably not, to tell you the <laughs> truth. Because a lot of them now are like intermingled. But 
I would say the biggest thing for me is my clients know they can call me about anything and I will help them. From A, their kid being put in jail for a DUI and who's the best criminal attorney at 3 a.m. to, oh my gosh, I'm holding a christening and I forgot to book a place to have it at. They can call me for anything and I'm always delighted to help. Or when they're new to the area, before there was GPS and cars, can I tell you how many calls I would get from people, I'm lost and I don't know where to go. And I always joyfully was willing to help because I would want someone to help me if I was lost. Do you just know that much about the area and the services or do you become like a concierge where they ask you things and you just go out and do the research real quick to get them an answer? I would say it's a combination because I'm a consumer myself and I'm very picky. So they know if I like something, it's really good because if I don't like something, I let people know that too. Well, 5,000, that's a a lot of people to keep track of. I assume you keep that in a database. What kind of software are you using to to track all those folks? I have went through many, but I've used uh, a software called ACT for the last probably 16 years. And the reason I chose ACT is I had many of the other traditional real estate software, but my frustration was customer service that I would call and I would hang on the phone for hours and hours. And I had no one locally to hold my hand and walk me through the experience on what to do or what not to do. And when I was at Armstrong World Industries, I had used ACT. And I knew that there was local support and that you could also customize it as well which I thought was an important aspect. If I recall, ACT is is a general business database, but they also have a plugin for real estate. I'm trying to recall, is it called Transact or something like that? Do you use a plugin or a, a screen on top of it, or do you just use the basic version right out of the box? I will tell you there's a local lady that came in, and I told her what my goal is, and she made it happen. Like, I said, here's what I need. And she was like, okay. As far as the the 5,000 year database, who goes in the database and do you ever take anyone out? If you ever take anyone out, how come? I've only taken out very few people and it was because they did something unconscionable, like were abusive to one of the people that work for me. And again, this has only happened maybe three times in 20-some years. I just, or they died. If they died, they get out of the database too, so. How about if they move away? Do you still keep them in there? Absolutely, because there's several clients that have moved away, moved back, moved back again, moved away. I had one client move back and forth like four times. Do you have a annual marketing plan for your past clients in Sphere of Influence? Or are you making calls or emails? or well, What's your plan look like to stay in front of those folks? 
Well, it's a combination of emails, handwritten cards, phone calls. But I would say my most successful action is I call it my go Godiva uh, mailing. And what I mean by that is I just sent out 3,000 boxes of chocolate through Godiva yesterday. <laughs> wow. And they're small. They're not big. But it just says, hey, I care about you. In a season of giving, I want you to receive. Wow, that that's a lot of boxes of chocolate. And and now you, I assume you have an actual message. Is that the message you have on the the mailing? I basically have happy holidays. Thank you for all you do. Best wishes in the new year. You mentioned you send out 3,000, but you have a, a group of 5,000 in the database. How do you decide who's going to get it? Some of the people have allergies, so then I send them Starbucks gift cards. So I try to remember someone had a nut allergy or was lactose intolerant or was a vegetarian, and I try to be cognizant of being sensitive to my client's needs. And you're tracking that all in ACT? Yes. Plus, I have an incredible memory. <laughs> I scare people with what I remember. Uh-oh. <laughs> that's good. That's Well, that's a, a asset in this business, especially when you're connecting all these people and these service providers. Yes, it is. You sent out these 3,000 boxes of chocolate. How long have you been doing that? Probably at least, oh my gosh, almost 10 years. You must be getting a return on that if you continue to do it. I get about $10 million in referrals off that mailing. You're able to track it directly to that mailing? Correct, because they'll call and say, thanks for the Godiva. I wanted to tell you my sister's moving into the area. Wow. So about $10 million in referrals per year off of this mailing. How much does it cost to send out 3,000 boxes of chocolate? Uh, about sixteen to $18,000. That's a pretty good return on your investment. That's, a, what, about 20 to 1? Yes, it is. And it falls right in line with your philosophy of giving first. That's right. So what are the other things that you do throughout the course of the year? You mentioned you email, you have handwritten cards, phone calls. How often are you doing those things, and what are you sending out, for instance, by email or card? It just depends. Again, it's always something about them why staging is important, why you need to maintain the uh, caulking around the windows on your house, uh, what's happening in real estate, what are the best improvements to get back a dollar-to-dollar return. And again, it's always about them, or I'll do a mailing with their, you know, their settlement statements because most people don't know where they are when their accountant asks for them. And you'll do that at the beginning of the year? Absolutely. How often do you send an email out? Probably about quarterly. One of the things I don't want to do is have the people say, oh, crap, she's filling my mailbox with nonsense. Right. And, and the cards, are you just doing that sporadically when you think of it? Or is that on a program as well? I try to do so many a week. Just to let people know I'm thinking about them and I care. And 
to find out where they are in their life. Or if I see one of their kids achieve something or read about them or see on LinkedIn they got a new job, just to send them a little note of encouragement. How many cards do you attempt to send out each week? I try to do between 5 and 20 a week, depending on how busy I am. Do the phone calls fall in that same category where you're just making them as you get to them, or do you have a a structure for your phone calls? I have a list of people that each week, and come hell or high water, I'm going to hit that goal. How many people is that typically? I would say it can be anywhere from 30 to 40. And those calls there, you're just uh, touching base. So what are you talking about during those calls? Oh, just about how they are. What's going on in their life? How's their job? How's their career? How is their family? How are they feeling? Again, it's a personal call. It's not like, well, what kind of business can you give me? It is about them. Is there anything else that you do to market or put yourself in front of your past clients and sphere of influence? Do you have any events or parties? Uh, Is there anything else that we're missing? No, I don't, but I'm thinking about incorporating that into my marketing plan for next year. And the reason I haven't done it in the past is I spend so much time working I don't have a lot of free time. So every time I say, well, I'd like to do this, oh, well, I have a tour to bring a new client on an area tour through town. And so I need to just schedule it and be able to say it's okay that I can't do anything else that day. Something else that was really interesting to me, last year you closed 108 transactions. This year you've already closed 149. You've increased your volume, your number of units by almost 40%. Could you tell us what you think attributed to that? Why did it jump so much? I would say that I added another person to my marketing team. I would say that I really became laser specific with my marketing and realized most of my business was coming from a specific zip code. So I realigned my spending to be completely focused on one area. And I feel like that's made a huge difference. So you basically doubled down on something that was already successful. You built on your strength. Correct. And, and to me, there's, you know, when I, my goal was to really work most of the business within two miles of my office. And, and it's something, you know, Joe Stump told me this years ago, but I was a slow learner, obviously. He said, you're spending on advertising, but you're spending a little here, a little there, a little here, a little there. You're trying to be all things to all people. And you're trying to advertise everywhere in your whole county. You have you know, 20 zip codes where you're spending a little in each one. Why don't you take all the money on the 20 and focus on the one where you want to rule and own your kingdom? And when I did that, I'd say close to the end of 2014 and consistently have kept that as my goal, I saw a huge change. 
and I was, I've always been consistently successful, but it really just sort of put me over the top. And also a lot of the clients that I've been working with for years finally bought this year. When you say that you narrowed in on one zip code, you mentioned smart zip before and direct mail. Is there any other way that you got yourself in front of the people in that one zip code? Realtor.com, Zillow, Trillia, um, those were also ways I did that. I just increased my dollars to really be focused in that area. Is that an upper end area? Are most of the homes there luxury homes? It is. How big is that zip code? How many homes are there that you're targeting? I would say the whole zip code's pretty vast. I probably target a good 7,500 households in that area. How did you pick that group? Was, was it just based on price or based on the fact that you had been working that market already and had success? I would say that I uh, have been working that market for many years. And again, it started, I would say, about 15 or 16 years ago where I had you know, a young child, then I had another young child. And it was exhausting to be running an hour away. What percentage of your business do you think is happening in that one zip code? Well, I think it's the most transitional area where a lot of people are coming in for relocation for new jobs, and then they relocate again for new jobs. And that's one of the reasons I like it. Plus, I think it has a great library, parks, country club, and it's really close to my office. What I'd like to do now, Anne, is I'd like to switch gears and I'd like to talk about your team. You have a, an interesting team structure. First of all, my understanding is that you are the only producing salesperson on the team. Is that correct? That's correct. Wow, that, that's really exciting. Well, let's do this. Let's talk about the structure of who you've put around yourself. I would say that, number one, I have a buyer transaction person and a seller transaction person that handles paperwork. They are licensed. Uh, they help me in all aspects of the transaction for simply buyers or simply sellers. And that is very helpful to me because, again, if I'm not on the road with people, I'm not producing results. So I feel that's very helpful. Then I have a full-time runner, and the runner puts out signs, attends inspections, uh, refills brochure boxes, makes sure vacant homes are locked up, lights are off, clean, there's no problems, uh, and if there is, they take care of it. Then I have three full-time people in the marketing department that probably the lead person works 60 to 70 hours a week, and the other two people probably are at about 50 to 60 hours a week uh, because my brand demands excellence and quality. So our pictures all have to be a certain, you know, density. Uh, they have to, they can't be photoshopped. They have to be excellent. And then 
the way we have to upload them so they can be put out to all these multiple MLS systems through the Sotheby's system, Sotheby's International Realty System. And we want to make sure that whatever we're putting out there is excellent. Let's go back to the transaction coordinators. You have one for buyer, one for seller. They're handling all that paperwork. Are they also handling, say, an inspection negotiation? I do all the negotiations, but they would get the estimates and the lay the groundwork. So they would help you collect the data. You would step in and negotiate with the other party to get to a conclusion. Correct. You're also doing the showings. You're driving the buyers around. Correct. And you're also going out on all the listing appointments. Correct. It sounds like your objective is to be face-to-face, to be belly-to-belly with a client as many hours of the day as you can. Correct. Old school. (laughs) <laughs> Old school. Well, how many hours do you work in a typical week? 80 to 110. Wow. Do you take a day off? No, I really don't. You mentioned earlier you really enjoy and love your job, your work, your, your mission, really, to go out there and help people. That really is taking up your life, though. Uh, 80 to 110 hours a week is a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot, but I love what I do. It's not like a job. It is, it is hard to find people to keep up with me, um, and I can burn out staff because I am 24-7, go, go, go. Yeah, which means they have to be the same? Correct. And so they know that when they sign on? Correct. But I don't think they always believe me. Like... I I think sometimes they think I'm exaggerating and then they find out two weeks in. And if if they're around me, they have to be high energy and be a service, customer service mindset. Because if a client calls me when they're away on vacation and says, oh my gosh, I forgot to hire somebody to water my plants. I say, that's not a problem. Which plant and how much water does it get? I'll send somebody right now. And sometimes people that work for me say, well, that's not my job. No, it isn't. But it's about the experience for the customer. You mentioned that you get some turnover. What's the longest someone has stayed with you on your team? Oh, my gosh. I would say the longest was probably about eight years. How do you find these people and how do you prep them for the fact that they're going to be plugged in 24-7? Well, they're usually referred to me, or I meet somebody somewhere, and I observe where they work now, and it's usually, and a lot of people I find aren't in the real estate industry already. I try to find, I can teach somebody real estate. Um, I can teach somebody uh, many things, but you can't teach somebody to love people. Do you do any personality tests like the DISC personality profile? No, but I should. You're basically going on gut. You're meeting them. They appear to have a service attitude, service mentality, and, and then you approach them. You, you, or do, uh, it sounds like you're going to find people that could meet your needs rather than getting a bunch of resumes and trying to pick through them. 
Correct. And and again, I want to see it again. Actions speak louder than words. And that's why I like to see how people act and perform. Could you give us a, an example of, of something that you saw in someone and it told you this is the right kind of person for my team? My sister used to own a gym. And one of my assistants that's a very successful agent now at another company, I liked the way he cleaned the counters and greeted people. So you observed him in action. Actions speak louder than words. Correct. Is everybody on your team licensed? Yes. So they can do anything that you ask of them in the the real estate business? Correct. Even the people in the marketing department. The runner's not licensed. And the the data input person's not licensed, but the people that speak to people are all licensed. Even my front desk person, because I own the company as well, but I have managers to handle the other agents and the company because that's not what I'm good at. So everything that we've been talking about so far is your team specific. It's not the rest of the company. Correct. Are you profitable? Yes, I am. Would you mind disclosing what your profit margin is? That's sort of complicated because my business is mixed into the overall company. So I would say I spend a good 25% of my income on marketing, like I invested back in. Do you think that the staff that you have is taking up another 20-25%? Probably about 20%. So if we were just a rough guess, you're, you're probably hitting a net profit margin of around 50% or so. I would say around 40 would be more fair because, again, I'm always reinvesting in major items, parking lots, lights, furniture, paint, windows, again, being the owner of the company as well. I don't like things that don't look pretty. Do you own your own building then? Yes, I do. And it sounds like you probably take a lot of pride in that building. Do you make sure that the building has the appearance of a high-end or luxury? I do, and that costs a lot of money because things happen. You know, windstorms will break lights. Uh, People will run into the light posts or things happen. And I'm always spending money making improvements. Well, Anne, what drives you? I would say my personal desire to succeed and be the best. I can be each and every day. And I love people. And I love solving problems. The more complicated the transaction, the happier I am. That seems to be a theme all the way through. You love people and you love to solve problems. So you love to solve these problems for these people. Correct. And I I want to bring joy to their lives. I don't want them stressing out. You know, one of the things I say to people is there is a solution to every problem. And no matter how bad it is right now, this shall pass. And you can only live in the present moment. And if you're okay right now, you're okay. And sometimes I tell people you have to take 10 steps back to move 30 steps forward. And sometimes your worst moments bring you your greatest opportunities. And life is full of amazing possibilities. It's limitless. 
the only person that ever limits your success is yourself. Boy, isn't that the truth? <laughs> and you've had to get out of your own way a few times in life, but it sounds like you've been really driven. It maybe goes back to your, your father and your grandmother uh, giving you a lot of those uh, initial concepts, those initial philosophies to move forward faster, to, to never be second. Nobody remembers second. True. And, and I would say again, I always set goals and I always say, what do I need to do differently to get there? Because I find people do the same things and expect different results. So I believe that's the definition of insanity. And people, I look at myself every day and I'm my own worst critic. What can I do better? How can I better serve my clients? How did I fail in this instance? What could I do better? How, looking back, how can I improve? Because, again, I'm in charge of me. I'm not going to do everything perfect. Bad things are going to happen. But you can't dwell on them. You can only take a step back and say, what did I learn from this and how will I not repeat this again? And the biggest thing about being a real estate agent to understand is not everybody's going to like you or your style. I'm highly detail-oriented. Someone that doesn't care about details might not enjoy me. I have to be okay with that. And I also realize sometimes you're going to work your butt off with somebody And they're going to walk into an open house, ignore your buyer agency, and buy from another agent, not even realize what they did to you. You can't dwell on that. You have to say next, it happened, and what did I learn from this situation? That's really impressive. You even used the word fail. I failed. And yet you use that to your advantage. You're searching for how you can be better next time. Correct. Because I can always do something better. Well, Anne, why do you think you've been so successful? Because I've always put people first. Anne, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Number one, write down every single person you know, their name, number, address, email address and phone number and put them in a database immediately. I don't care if they live in Nicaragua, put them down. Number one. Number two, be willing to stretch outside your comfort zone. Three, don't be a secret agent. Tell people that you are in real estate. And number four, get busy educating yourself. Don't sit at your desk waiting for the phone to ring. Every day when the hot sheet comes out, pick what you want your niche to be and master it. Pick an area of the county, a town, and know every home for sale, every home that's under agreement, every home that's sold in a year. Know everything you can to know about the community. Where's the post office? Where are the doctor's office? Where's the dentist's office? Where are the great restaurants? What do they serve at the restaurants? What are their hours? Become a master of your kingdom. Every day, read something about your industry that will help increase your knowledge base. 
have strategic alliances. Find two lenders that have different programs. Sit with them. Understand the nuances of each and everything they offer. Be knowledgeable. And be accountable and responsible. And don't blame anyone else for your successes or your failures. Own them. And volunteer to work. Do an open house every week. Think of creative advertising. Even if it's not your listing, why not put something up on Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, about the house that you're going to be at Sunday from 1 to 3? Invite everybody you know. Come prepared at that open house. Have a book about every listing in the area, active, pending, and sold. Know the deed restrictions in the neighborhood that the house you're, rep- you're there to represent. Have a small little treat for people so they stand there and speak to you. Engage people as they walk in the front door. Ask them about them. Outline all the fabulous features of the house. Every house, no matter what the price range, has features, functions, and benefits. Be prepared to win. Follow up. Most people give up way too soon. It takes six to ten contacts to secure a client when you're new. They don't know who you are, but tell them you care. Be about the client and their needs, not about your own. And educate, 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 and never stop learning. Go to local zoning meetings. Be aware of what's happening in your kingdom. So many people don't even know how to reach their local township. Well, Anne, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely, because you can always learn something each and every day. The way I do things might be different from the way they do things, but they could maybe pick one thing out I spoke about and make their business better right now. Well, Anne, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? You have to do good to do well. Never give up. Be consistent and persistent. And don't let anybody rain on your parade. The more successful you are, the more criticism you'll have to listen to. But always stay true to yourself and always put your clients first and you will always be successful. Well, Anne, you've always put your clients first and you've been very successful. First, working the underserved Spanish-speaking niche and now working a broader market, including luxury homes. Your dedication to exceptional service has multiplied your business through word-of-mouth referrals. You built a team around you so you can personally serve more clients with your signature high-touch representation. You have your father's work ethic and your grandmother's moxie. I'm sure they're very proud of you. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 165 homes last year with no buyer agents. Find out who he is on the next success call. 
If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.